Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff, I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Makaya, who is our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday. Two weeks ago, we had started to see some slowdown in the economy from the Delta variant and some seasonality effects. And last week, the comments we picked up indicated more strength maybe than we had seen two weeks ago, at least. I mean, week to week, it's tough to really find any significant trends. But this week, at least, there were some credit card companies who were talking about travel and entertainment spend soft in August, still soft in September, but other categories holding up well. So the economy seems to uh, be continuing to move at a good pace in the US, even if it's down from kind of like the euphoric pace that we saw earlier in the year. Eric, any thoughts about that? I agree on that end. I think most of the transcripts that we read this week, um, they reiterate the fact that August was a little bit of a down uh, month, but then overall the trends remain positive, a little impact from Delta. Two quotes there for on about the labor environment, which I wanted to kind of pick out. I think they say that there's never been a, a stronger labor market than it, there is today. I'm not so sure like what that means practically. I was going to ask you, have you seen any indications about maybe a returning of the very strong labor environment from around you in terms of hiring? Yeah, labor markets are really tight. It's hard to find good people right now. One of the quotes that you picked out from on labor markets was really interesting where it was talking about people made different decisions in the pandemic and have decided to try different jobs than they were than they were working at before or they've moved and so i think the pandemic made everybody take stock of personal decisions and personal choices and so people are coming back out of the, the pandemic and making different life choices and that is definitely impacting the availability of labor and you know with the supply of labor being down more pricing power for people who who are looking for work and for companies are still trying to staff, there's a lot of demand. And so um, just trying to find people to fill those roles is still very tough. One of the quotes they say that mostly people are looking now for either higher wages in the current jobs or they want to go to jobs that pay them more. And I think that, of course, we've been commenting about it. The stimulus has something to do with it. Now people know that you can earn a higher wage or salary. Or you can get a little bit more income. So I think then that kind of pushes people to want to have a higher wage at the end of the day. Something else that we saw in the quarter was something about the slowdown in China, something that we continued from last week. I mean, there's a lot happening in China presently. There's a very big business there called Evergrande. There's a real estate company that is being slowly kind of, I don't know if it's winding down, you could call it. So it's, it's the intricate business about the company itself is having a little bit of a, an effect on the markets, Chinese markets and global markets at the end of the day. But also generally, as you could tell there from Citigroup, they're saying that uh, watching China, I think there's been a slowdown in China from policy-induced uh, decisions that they've been making this past few weeks, but also the COVID uh, situation, which is uh, kind of reappearing there. Uh, so Asia is soft, but Europe is strong. I think that's a general theme from last week's international section. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we've been picking up quotes talking about slowdown in China for several weeks or months now. And Capital markets around the world seem to be reacting today to some events that are going on in China. I mean, this is something to keep an increasingly close eye on. I think also supply chain stuff. We just continue to see supply chain challenges as have been documented throughout the year. Semiconductor challenges, especially. 
General Motors was saying, though, that there's been some shifts in the bottlenecks. From my read of it, it was saying that the bottlenecks now are in places where capacity might be able to be ramped up more quickly. So maybe we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for some of the supply chain challenges. To pick up on that, especially in the supply chains, I think the quote from Daimler CFO Harold Wilhelm, who said there is very strong demand and uh, there is very little supply because, especially stemming from the fact that they don't have enough chips to make all the cars. So what they're doing is that they are actually shifting gears to make the higher luxury and kind of products. And at the same time, they're seeing customers who are more willing to wait for the products. And that's giving them a lot of pricing power. And uh, any thoughts on that yourself? Yeah, I think seeing cars sell for above MSRP is really an interesting data point as a car buyer in the US. MSRP is kind of the, the standard that it's the sticker price, but car buyers, I think, have been trained to ask for dis- to large discounts to sticker price. You never pay sticker price. Yeah. So just the way that this shortage and coupled with strong demand is affecting pricing power is is definitely very interesting. One other thing I think worth mentioning is the quote from Zillow about housing markets becoming more balanced in the US. I think it's just indicative again of this receding COVID environment. There's more inventory coming to market. It's still not a ton of inventory, but there's been some slight uptick. And then I think urgency of home buying demand has declined some. Again, it's like all at the margins here. And this is what we're seeing throughout the economy. But it's just like a little bit of a slowdown from the very emotionally charged home buyer environment that was leading to large spikes in prices. And so I think the the whole economy is coming down here, if nothing else. And, and that's showing up in housing markets as well. That was pretty interesting because for, at the beginning of the year, the quotes were about the housing market being very, very hot. I think somewhere around May, we saw a quote that it was moving from very, very hot to just hot. And then now it's moving to a little bit more balance in the market. So you can see the supply is like the supply is creeping back up and then also demand is going down a little. But then also something that we didn't make it to the main quotes, but a quote that I saw is about, I think, Redfin showed that this last month was the first time in 15 months when the housing sales were actually down uh, year over year. So which was pretty interesting, showing that there's a little bit of maybe a dampening in the markets a little bit. So the other quotes which was stood out was data is doubling every eight months, uh, which is pretty interesting to note because if it's doubling it every eight months, that's exponential kind of growth in terms of the data that you have out there. Yeah, I mean, I think in that data quote was really surprising to me. It does remind me of a quote. I can't remember who said it, but we picked it up in the last couple of weeks from somebody saying, basically one of the big advances in AI over the last 30 years has been the availability of data to train a model. And obviously there's been huge increases in compute power But the algorithms themselves, my understanding at least, is that they haven't evolved all that much. But I mean, you just, you have this confluence of then the higher compute and just us digitizing information en masse all over the world. And we've been doing this for 30 years now. The amount of information that's just available on the internet is, is staggering. And it continues to grow at a very rapid rate. It's, it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, projecting 20 years from now, where the internet will be, what it will look like, what the amount of information shared will be. It's just, it's going to look a lot different than it does today because of the growth rates. So, so I think finally, something I wanted to comment about, which I've seen a lot of the Twitter environment, discussions around buy now, pay later. The, the question that is being asked generally is about, 
are these companies going to disrupt companies like MasterCard and Visa who have been playing in this game for so long? So I think for the past few weeks, what I've noted is a MasterCard, Visa, and the CEOs, and JP Morgan, generally some of these companies are having to respond. And the response has been that they don't see it as a threat. And they actually, they feel like some of these companies actually will run on the rails provided by MasterCard and Visa. So actually, if these companies are doing well, MasterCard and Visa are also doing well. So I'm not so, I'm not so sure if you experienced this, but at least Klarna is quite big in, the, in, in Sweden. And Affam, I'm told, is very big in the US. And uh, Afterpay is very big in Australia. And see, these are some of the key BNPL players presently. I think we can end there for this week. Thank you so much for joining us at the Transcript Podcast. We really like your comments and uh, feedback. So do reach out to us at uh, admin at theweeklytranscript.com and on Twitter uh, at the transcript underscore. Uh, thank you and see you next week. Thank you.